Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hope you had a great weekend at Sports Talk Mississippi. Monday afternoon, just after 3 o'clock. Good to be with you and hot Dog, the sun was out. Well, kind of. I mean, it was like mostly cloudy, but it was not raining. We'll take it. And that's like two days in a row. And if you look at the forecast, they're like two more days. It's going to be like that. And yes, maybe that's why I sound a little bit more excited as we roll into Monday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad, and you. Welcome aboard. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. They gave away 20,000 trees on Friday. I've asked. I don't know if there are any left over. I didn't know if the weather maybe slowed things up a little bit, and if you happened to go by Mississippi Land Bank and said, hey, have you got any saplings left, maybe there would be a few. If I get an answer to that in the affirmative, I'll let you know. How about that? Giving away 20,000 trees on Friday. Mississippi Land Bank, if you've got land financing needs, and you're in North Mississippi, they're just the answer. They've been financing land for over 100 years. They're fantastic people. They understand the business inside and out. Why would you go anywhere else? You can find them online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Um, I feel a little like Willy Wonka today, like you would uh, perhaps out of the gate go, oh, so little to do, so much time. Wait, strike that. Strike it, turn it around, zip it around. So much to do, so little time. Hello, Brian. Hey, Dad. Hello, Richard Cross. How was your weekend? Busy. Busy. Covering a lot of sports. But it was fun to be a part of. And a lot of wins in Starkville over the weekend. Baseball, softball, basketball, and whatnot. And women's basketball. So yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, and women's basketball, too. That's true. A pretty good weekend for the Maroon and White. Yeah, yeah. Good weekend all the way around. Hey, Dad, uh, glad to hear from you. Borky, how was your weekend? You still didn't get to fly, did you? No, we still didn't get to fly, and now we have a wedding next weekend, so we can't fly next weekend. It may just never happen at this point. The luck is not in our favor. Well, I mean, there are a lot of Saturdays. I mean, there are 52 of them in a year. Surely you can find one where it's not raining. (laughs) We're about to go four in a row, though. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Hey, to uh, to all the folks in Columbus and other parts of the state that were uh, affected by tornadoes and flooding and just general bad weather, we're thinking about you. Um, if you live in a place where you didn't have weather that really affected you this weekend, uh, I think maybe you're in the minority. So uh, as uh, especially in Columbus, downtown Columbus was kind of uh, kind of the epicenter of some of the damage from a tornado that went through. We are thinking about you. And, uh, and certainly the folks from uh, across the state uh, got you in prayers. And hopefully it's more than just prayers. Hopefully um, there's some support coming your way. I heard Rebecca, she was finishing up uh, some stuff that she's got coming up on the show tomorrow uh, that will talk to uh, people about how they're going to be able to help 
uh, Lowndes County and the other areas that were affected by uh, rough weather over the weekend. Rippy, how was your weekend? Eventful, yeah, to say the least. Um, and and didn't really see that coming. In some respects, I was just glad to see the sun again. I got to a point this weekend where it was still raining outside, and I was like, this is probably the apocalypse. Like, there won't be any Monday show. There were potholes coming out of the ground. A water pipe broke. I was like, man, this is probably it. Apocalyptic was actually a word that was used on more than one occasion to describe Oxford over the weekend. Probably a little bit hyperbolic, but you had the uh, the Confederate protest that was going on in the square, the march uh, onto the Ole Miss campus while a basketball game was going on, and yes, there's much more to the story than that. I'm just hitting the high points here. There were tornadoes that were forecast, or at least a tornado watch was in effect, and the weather was going to be we- and it was like weird, creepy 70 degrees. But the wind was blowing, and it was cloudy, and he's just like, okay, it's going to get bad eventually. It had been raining for seven or eight consecutive days, and so there was flooding all over the place that caused lots of, wa- caused lots of washouts and caused two water mains to break, rendering like half the city and part of the county without water. I, uh, Yeah, I actually uh, I might not make it for a while. So uh, during that water thing, I had gone to the square the night before, and uh, I woke up in the middle of the night after it broke pretty thirsty and kind of like groggily walked downstairs to get some water. And I was like, man, this water pressure is uh, pretty weak. So, of course, I chugged the water about halfway full of a nukes cup. And then my roommate comes in after I woke up the next morning. I was like, hey, the water's pretty brown. I wouldn't drink it. And I looked in the cup, pretty brown. <laughs> so... Rest in can, peace, can, Rippy. Yeah. If it, can we be honest, though? I mean, so yeah, boil water notice goes into effect, but what are we worried about getting in the water? Mud? I'll let you know in a couple of days. I mean, mud is what we're talking about, right? I mean, dirt particles? I'm sure there's we're more. We're worried to about it. some. Uh, say what? I'm sure there's I think more to it. Some pretty serious stuff could get in there. I don't know. What? I mean, like roaches? No. no that would be kind of gross. I mean, chemical. Like, yeah, chemicals, diseases. What diseases? I don't know. I played roulette with it. There's no telling what I caught. <laughs> yeah, well. <sighs> I think a we're little, all going to be okay. phrase that uh, Mississippi State fans always say after the national anthem, it looked like it was almost going to come true this weekend in Oxford. That place was falling apart. Do what? Oh. Oh, that was a go-to-hell Ole Miss reference, wasn't it? Hey, Dad. I was trying not to use that word on the air. Well, except you clearly used it and implied it and kind of flew over implied my head for a second. is not said. Yeah. It's not. All right, so what happened on the diamond slash hardwood this weekend? Mississippi State took two out of three from Southern Miss, lost game one, won game two comfortably, and then a nail-biter in game three, a little walk-off action at Duty Noble yesterday. Ole Miss went to New Orleans and took two of three, one in game one. Looked like they were going to win in Game 2 after a a Thomas Dillard home run in the top of the ninth inning, a three-run blast to put Ole Miss on top, only to give up a two-run home run in the bottom of the ninth inning to have Tulane walk it off, and then Ole Miss won yesterday. Mississippi State trailed 18-4, to not exactly sprinting out of the gates against South Carolina, but my goodness, they found their stride later and walked away from... South Carolina in a win in Starkville. Ole Miss beat Georgia 72-71 in a win that Ole Miss had to have because it was a loss they could not afford. So they got the win. 
We've got a story that uh, two college basketball coaches, one of them in the SEC, will be receiving a subpoena in the near future. Borky, go ahead and drop it. Wiretap will. And yet the biggest story of the weekend is not really related to anything that happened on the court while the clock was ticking. It is everything to do with what happened on the court prior to Ole Miss's game against Georgia. Rippy, you were there. You wrote a story that was on supertalk.fm that a lot of people have read. Give us give us the capsule uh, as we kind of use this as a jumping-off point to, uh, to get into a conversation that I know um, has passionate feelings uh, from a lot of different directions. By the way, you can text the show on the C Spire text line. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Yeah, so as the national anthem began to play, initially one quickly followed by four or five Ole Miss players took a knee for it, and then at the by the end of it, it was eight. Brian Tyree and I think Franco Miller towards the end kneeled down as well. So it was eight players in total. It was a one-time thing. They said they don't envision it being a multi-game thing, but it was essentially a peaceful protest and an act of solidarity to basically send a message that they don't approve of these pro-Confederate as they described, I mean, hate groups coming on on campus and and portraying the campus in a bad light. So that is essentially what happened. Um, Kermit Davis was not aware before the game that this was going to happen. From the sounds of it, and from what I've gathered from talking to people, I, I don't think there was even a preconceived plan, really, for the players to do it. I, I think one person started doing it, and then the rest of them followed suit to kind of show some solidarity with it. Um, and that is essentially what happened. I thought they handled it pretty well after the game. Kermit Davis came out in support of his players. Um, I thought Brian Tyree was was really profound in that moment and some of the things he said and the way he represented the school. You know, whether you agree, disagree with their vehicle, you know, using the national anthem as a vehicle for protest, don't dilute the message. The message was out of you know caring for the university and them saying that this isn't right and they 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 don't want these people representing the school or portraying the school in a bad light. This is um, uh, among fans, Ole Miss fans in particular, but frankly, it's not just Ole Miss fans, okay? It's people of Mississippi, and it's people all over, I I guess, the country, specifically the South. It is not an issue that in the minds of a lot of people is cut and dried. You may look at it as very cut and dried one way or the other, and the first couple of texts that come into the C Spire text line are people that look at it cut and dried but maybe not in the way that I look at it. No, not maybe. Clearly not in the way that I look at it. I'll share with you a couple of conversations that I had at the basketball game with people that I considered to be um, bright, smart, successful, well-reasoned, rational people who are very much opposite where I stand on this. I'll be interested, Borky, to hear what you say. I'll be interested, Hey Dad, to hear what you say as well when we come back. It's Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. All right, I want to throw a question out as we kind of start this conversation because the first, oh, eight or so responses that have come in on the C Spire text line 
C Spire, customer inspired, have largely been how dare they protest during the national anthem. Okay? I'm just, I'm paraphrasing and lumping a bunch of responses together. So here's my question for you, because a lot of you have said there's no excuse for not standing during the national anthem. If you are a college basketball player, and or any athlete, and you want to make a public statement, then tell me what the vehicle is that allows you to bring the most recognition um, to your cause. I'm going to read you this last text message that comes in. Long-time listener, thank you. Hope I didn't hear what I think I did. If you're condoning the players kneeling in protest during the anthem, this may be my last day, last day listening. It's never okay. Well, hear me out. And if you want to never listen to the program again as a result of my opinion, that's okay. I hope we don't lose you as a listener. But we're going to try and have a rational conversation about this. I'm just going to start with how I feel about it. We'll talk about some of your texts, and I'll get you guys' reaction as well. First of all, would I prefer that people not kneel or show any kind of a sign of disrespect during the national anthem? Yes. The answer to that is yes. Now here's the nuance. I'm okay with what happened Saturday. If, stick with me, if it is a one-time occurrence. 300 yards, give or take, to the north of where a basketball game was being played, that the majority of the players in it were African American, were black. There were about 100 people who were waving Confederate flags and protesting they're taking away our traditions and symbols. They were not people that were part of Ole Miss, largely. They were not people that largely were from the state of Mississippi. But they were co-opting the University of Mississippi and the city of Oxford to spread their message of hate. And those young black African-American men who were on the Ole Miss basketball team started with Devontae Shuler and turned into a, um, a, a show of support for a teammate, said, we're tired of seeing on our campus, on our university that we love, people come in and co-opt our brand to try and spread a message of hate. Because that's not what Ole Miss, that's not what the University of Mississippi is slash are. Now, let me go back to where I started on this. I'm okay with it as a one-time protest. And I think the majority of Ole Miss people, not all of them, not anywhere close to all of them, but the majority of Ole Miss people are going to look at this and say, I don't like the vehicle that they used. I understand what they were doing. And if it's a one-time thing, I'll live with it. But do not turn this into a 
we're just going to take a knee in the national anthem in the name of uh, whatever. Because then it loses its punch. It loses its emphasis. It loses any effectiveness that it had as, as a protest because it's just lumped into, oh, it's the same thing those NFL guys were doing. If the protest, the kneeling during the national anthem, extends beyond just that one time on Saturday, which is not. You, you will lose a significant portion, an overwhelming portion of the Ole Miss fan base. Okay. I would agree with you. I don't think it's going to. Now, I, I talked a bunch, probably longer than I intended to. Um, Rippy, you want to start? Yeah. So I really do understand both sides of this. I understand being bothered by someone you know, kneeing and doing anything that disrespects the flag or the national anthem. But this wasn't the same as the NFL protest. Like, this wasn't the same as Colin Kaepernick's thing. It was something tangible and real and a simple message with regards to something happening less than 400 yards away from where they were playing a basketball game. So, like, I can't, I can't, like, Colin Kaepernick's message was, and I'm not about to go down that, it was lost because it was hollow because he doesn't articulate a point well. There's a reason why he doesn't do interviews. There, there, There's a reason why, you know, whenever he gets a microphone stuck in his face, he says things that, you know, praising... Fidel Castro were wearing pig socks or whatever. This was different than all that. This was a one-time thing for them to show solidarity and to them to send a message that they don't want these type of people portraying the university. Could they have done it in a different way? Yes. But they've seen that that vehicle, using the National Anthem as a vehicle to peacefully protest, work. So I can't hardly blame them for using that as a way to get their message out. Okay. And it's a one-time thing. They're not going to do it again. They said as much after the game. There, it, It's it's different because it's tangible and real and something happening on the Ole Miss campus that they saw that they didn't like. It isn't just all of a sudden somebody saying they don't like the way the world or the country's going and kneeling like Colin Kaepernick did, which is a larger issue and a whole other issue than this. So I, I, even if you disagree with it, and even if you don't like the way they did it, don't let that dilute the message that they were trying to or the place they were coming from, which is well-intended and, and, and really in support of the university. Okay. Apparently we've lost two listeners in this time. Uh, one, I'm a longtime listener, and I'm not listening anymore. And then somebody, Jeff, you and Carrollton, you said I won't read this on the air. I'll read it right now. I just heard you say you're okay with not respecting the national anthem. Sorry, but I'm done with your program, but I'm sure you won't put this on the air. Yeah, Jeff, I just read it on the air. I bet they're lying, too. And, and I hope that you're not actually done with the program. I hope you're just angry right now. But if you are, thanks for listening for all the time that you have. Borky, what's your thought? It's really important when somebody does something that you you, you may not like or makes you uncomfortable, or angers you, to before you draw that line and make a decision, to hear them out first. To, to listen to maybe why they're doing that, and try to, to gather some kind of understanding behind the action that they did that you don't like. So if you see these players taking a knee for the National Anthem, listen to the reason why first, and maybe even if you disagree with the vehicle in which they did it, you can at least try to gain some perspective and understand why they did what they did. Bree and Tyree's answer after the game was articulate. It was well thought out. It made a lot of sense. 
and it took a lot of courage for a young black kid with a protest a few hundred yards away from the arena in which he just played a basketball game with Confederate flags singing songs and read some of the signs that they were holding up. You may disagree with the vehicle in which they did it. That's okay. But try to view this situation in the eyes of a young black kid who, by the way, did so to speak out for in favor of Ole Miss. So if you're an Ole Miss fan mad at, at Brian Tyree and those players, really listen to what they said. Because they did exactly what they did to speak for Ole Miss, to defend Ole Miss and be be their voice. Because the First Amendment protected those protesters as it should have. Gives yeah. them the right to be where they were as it should have. Hey, Dad, you're coming at it from a different place. Obviously, you weren't in Oxford this weekend. What's your reaction? Well, my, my first reaction is, this is America, and you have the right to protest. And, you know, maybe I'm going to make even more people angry, but I never really had a problem with what Colin Kaepernick was doing because that's his right as an American, and that's his platform, and he can choose to do with it uh, what he wants. So I have no issue with, with what happened there on the court. Uh, in in Oxford and and you know for everybody who's getting upset I mean this is what this country was was founded on they didn't just grant us America uh, you know the, if you go back to talk about the founding fathers I mean they were the first protesters for this country so I don't have a problem with it at all okay uh, there are clearly a lot of people that did and listen I I'm okay with us having a very open conversation about this. And it's a conversation that's going to continue throughout the afternoon, I think. Um, I'd love for us to keep it civil and uh, and let's actually have a real conversation. I've got some anecdotes I want to share with you. But on Monday, something that we started last Monday, we uh, and now we've got the full compliment. We're going to visit with the uh, three head baseball coaches in the state of Mississippi. When we come back, Scott Barry will join us on the Farm Bureau phone line. In the 4 o'clock hour today, Chris Lamonis, head baseball coach at Mississippi State, will join us. And then in the 5 o'clock hour, we will talk with Mike Bianco, the head baseball coach at Ole Miss. Just getting started with you, a whole bunch to get to on what appears as if it's going to be a passionate Monday in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky. Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. We are scheduled to visit shortly with Scott Berry, the head baseball coach at Southern Miss, and uh, look forward to that conversation. I do want to read you a text. Um, and, and this is what I mean when I say I'd like for us to have a reasonable, civil conversation. Uh, from Brian on the coast. Gentlemen, as a veteran of 22 years in the United States military, the national anthem is not a platform to be used as a protest. The Confederate protesters did not represent the U.S. I defended. The national anthem does find a different platform, folks. Folks. And I said, first, thank you for your service. Second, a serious question. Did you defend the flag or what the flag represents? I did not serve in the military, and it's one of the few regrets in my life. And I, I mean that wholeheartedly. But I look at the flag as a representation of what we as Americans believe. To me, the actual flag is a colorful piece of cloth 
But what the flag represents is altogether different. That's something that brings tears to my eyes, and it makes my heart swell with pride when I see it. And I just ask the question, am I off base? Uh, I'd certainly be interested, Brian, to hear your response. And, and interestingly enough, an altogether different text that um, that came in at the exact same time, or, or almost exactly the same time, uh, from a gentleman that says he served in the military, and part of what he served for was to defend the right of free speech in the United States. And anyone who doesn't think that the basketball players who kneeled during the national anthem as a form of protest in exercising their right to free speech is slapping a veteran in the face. So uh, an opposite perspective from two men who both served in the military and who are looking at it from very different, different, very different places. I will say this to you. If on, and we're just going to continue this conversation. We need to push Scott Berry back to a little bit later this afternoon. Something changed in his schedule, so we'll be absolutely to do this. Um, if on Thursday we're talking about Ole Miss basketball players that kneel during the national anthem and an ongoing protest, you're going to hear an entirely different tune from me than you're hearing today. So, guys, I, I said that I wanted to share a couple of anecdotes. I uh, I bumped into someone late first half. So uh, I actually got to go to the game on uh, on Saturday, had a, a Saturday off. Um, took my kids to the game. And Saturday was an interesting day because Saturday was a day where I spent a lot of time talking with my kids about protests and free speech and First Amendment rights and why people were protesting on the square and why there were so many police officers and sheriff's deputies that were out that day. It was kind of an interesting day, you know, to, to be a parent. But I was going to get, I don't know, dipping Dots or cookies or something at the concession stand and bumped into somebody that I've known for a really long time who is, uh, he's been successful, he's been part of the education community, and he was furious, absolutely furious. And I raised the point. I said, well, for for those guys that wanted to make their voice heard, those players chose to kneel during the national anthem when just a few hundred yards away you got a hundred people waving Confederate flags. What would you have them do? And his response was, I don't know, that's not my job to respond to, to figure that out, but they should have figured out another way. I will say there was one point that he made that really stuck with me. He said people don't know how to protest anymore without taking a knee during the National Anthem. He said that's all they've seen on television for the last couple of years, and so that's the response. Anytime somebody wants to protest something, oh, I'll kneel during the National Anthem. How much of that is our fault? And I'm using our fault collectively as the media because we've talked about it so much in the last couple of years with the NFL, starting with Colin Kaepernick. Anybody? I mean, there I have been some, some big protests lately. I remember there was the, uh, the, the women had a march. Women had a march in Washington, D.C. that some friends of mine went to. 
Um, and there have been some national, national protests. I, I don't necessarily buy into that. Yeah, that protest has gotten a lot of attention, and that's why people want to do it, because it gets attention. That's the point of a protest. You want to get attention to your cause. And as long as it's peaceful, how, how does anybody have a problem with that? And I wonder... I do wonder how many people telling the players that it's not the right time told the pro-Confederate morons it was not the right time. Do you think they got told that? Exactly. Because when is the right time to, to protest for the Confederacy? I don't know when that is. Yeah, so like if you're more angry about that than the actual confederate protest going on outside well geez but i do get both sides and i get why it would bother some people i really do because the, the national anthem is a sacred thing to you know most americans but to richard's point these kids have seen it work as a platform so it, particularly if it's an in the moment thing and not planned out can you really fault them for using it as a vehicle when it's been proven to work because Somebody said suggested do it after the game. Who's paying attention and who does the message get out to if they protest after the game? Do you believe Brian Tyree at his word? It's an interesting question, right? So Brian Tyree tweeted after the game, and I'm paraphrasing it. You'll have to forgive me. I don't have it actually pulled up. Because what he tweeted after the game, and you might say, oh, no, Richard, these are just words. They don't mean anything. I think we know that words mean a lot. If we didn't think words meant anything, you wouldn't be texting the C Spire text line right now. You wouldn't be sending us messages on Sports Talk Mississippi. And if words didn't mean anything, I wouldn't have a job, okay? Because I talk for a living. Words matter. They matter a lot. So, the question is, do you take Brian Tyree in his postgame tweet at his words when he said, no disrespect for the brave men and women who have fought for this country? Our intention was not to disrespect anyone who has served in the military. And again, I'm paraphrasing. I'm not reading it word for word. He said it was about protesting the pro-Confederate hate groups that were on campus that day. John and McComb says the hate group wasn't getting national attention until the Ole Miss players kneeled. That's John and McComb. Is check, that true? Check Fox News, Chief. I'm not sure I agree with there was, that. There was plenty of, of stuff on my Twitter feed anyway about what was going on. Um, I think that there is an argument to be made that Ole Miss did not, in the days and frankly a couple of weeks leading up to this, maybe handle it from a PR perspective as well as they could have or should have. Now, I understand the reason why they did. Ole Miss was doing its dead-level best to avoid having the University of Virginia slash Charlottesville happen in Oxford slash Ole Miss, or Ole Miss slash Oxford, respectively. But in doing so, they brought more attention to this event than ever would have happened. I'm not sure exactly what the balance is. The city of Oxford, of which I'm a resident and have been for a long time, prepared very quietly for this. There was a massive law enforcement presence in and around the square 
spreading onto campus that was visible from early Saturday morning until it was completely gone. They didn't really announce their plans in advance. They just kind of, they just kind of put it together and did it. Don't you think part of that is a, like I woke up on Saturday morning with like you could kind of get a sense in the like across the town you didn't really know what was going to happen with it all. There had been so much conflicting, not conflicting. Oh, I'll give but you a so personal story. There is like who is actually coming, how many, and what's actually going to happen with this. It was a eerie sense of uncertainty. Yeah. Uh, personal example. My wife is a business owner on the square. Uh, the mother of one of her employees was concerned about her daughter's safety and said she didn't want her to work by herself on Friday or on Saturday. As a parent of three children, I can understand the uncertainty. And we made the decision on Friday night, you know what? Really bad weather's predicted. There's some uncertainty as to the safety that might be on the square. Let's just close the store. So we were going to close on Saturday. Well, we stopped by after we had breakfast. We had the kids with us. We were just going to do a couple of things around the store, like, you know, maintenance-type things that needed to be done. And somebody came in while we were working in the back of the store, like a shopper. We weren't going to turn anybody away. And then all of a sudden, somebody there was somebody shopping in the store all day long. And I told Jane, I said, we learned a lesson. You, you don't bow down to any group that is threatening something. Because you got to do your best to continue to function in the way you just function on a daily basis. Hmm. A lot of ways that we can go with this. We'll continue to take your uh, your responses. We'll get to a bunch of other stuff this afternoon as well in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Please, if you are texting us on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. If I don't read your text on the air, whether it is one that is completely in disagreement with anything that any of us have said or is in lockstep agreement, please don't take that as endorsing or not or co-opting your point or anything like that. I'm just having a really hard time keeping up with all of your messages that come in, and I'm trying to play catch-up during the breaks. Um, I got an email, and I want to read this. This email comes from Lynn. And I really like the suggestion. Lynn says, I absolutely agree with the Ole Miss player, or with the basketball players at Ole Miss. It makes me sick that Confederate KKK supporters were on campus. However, I wish they had stood during the anthem. After anthem finished, take a knee. Ask fans to take a knee with you. I most certainly would have, and I bet a lot of the other fans would have as well. My father was a Marine who fought in World War II in the Pacific um, theater. Iwo Jima, etc. It would hurt his heart to see Americans kneeling during the anthem, but he would say that he fought so that they have the privilege to do so. And I got to thinking about it, and we were kind of talking about it in the break, and somebody said, well, it wouldn't have the same effect. I disagree. I actually think it's a really interesting and well-thought-out suggestion that Lynn brings to the table. What if from a protest standpoint, you stand at attention during the National Anthem, whether your hand is on your heart or not, whatever. And the second that the National Anthem ends, in a show of solidarity, the entire team had taken a knee and held it for 45 seconds, 60 seconds. I think there would have been a great deal of power in that moment. Now, let's talk about 
the way it happened. Devontae Sheeler was the first person to uh, first player to take a knee. I don't think he talked with anybody about doing that in advance. Maybe maybe with some of his teammates, maybe the guys that were standing next to him, I don't know. Pretty quickly, several of his teammates followed, and then you had two more at the very end of the anthem, including Brian Tyree, who took a knee at the end. And they said after the fact that it was to show support for a teammate. What do you guys think of that? Hey, Dad, what do you think? I mean, it's not a bad idea, you know, but... I mean, it's too late now, though, right? It's, no, no, I, I get yeah, that. The, the genie's out of the bottle there. No. And if they well, don't do it again, the then other... the story lives and dies with, with this weekend. That You said it at the top of the show. That's what matters, is if, if this stays here where it was and doesn't go to Wednesday when they play Tennessee, as hard as it is for some people to believe... This could have gone a lot worse for Ole Miss. The the pro the, the Confederate group that came to, to town and to campus, if the Ole Miss players didn't do what they did, I, just thinking out loud, if, if they didn't do what they did, Fox and CNN and MSNBC, all you would have seen there is Confederate group rallies around Confederate statue on the Ole Miss campus full stop. Instead, because they did that, the, the narrative around... The, the, the protest this weekend, the Confederate group on their campus this weekend, is now Ole Miss players stand up against that and say that that's not welcome on their campus. And nationally, believe it or not, it was very well received and Ole Miss got positive press, as positive as it could have been considering who went to their campus to do their thing, as positive it could have possibly been. And to add on that, that's kind of, what I was trying to get at earlier, Borky articulated it better than I did. Like even if you, even if the the vehicle bothers you and the fact that they're kneeling bothers you, like I'm not even necessarily like that's okay that it bothers you, but don't let that dilute the message and the impact it had because it was well intended and it was a positive message in support of the school. And the impact was national. As far as from a media coverage goes, the only negative story that I've seen has came from Dan Wolken, which is really interesting because Dan <laughs> Wolken is one of the most left-leaning college writers that you will find anywhere, and yet he picked the play apart and really just kind of exposed himself for for what he is with regard to Ole Miss. I mean, some people roll their eyes about that, but fine. I mean, they, they, they're, the agenda is so long and so storied there, whatever. I want to point out one other thing, if I may. There are a lot of people that have said, oh, the leader of this group is a Mississippi State fan. It doesn't matter. I, I, I get if you're an Ole Miss fan, you go, well, I mean, it's a State fan that started this. Yes. It's a guy who's gone on social media channels wearing a Mississippi State hat and points out the fact that this happens in Oxford and et cetera, and there aren't as many Yankees in Starbucks. I listened to his post. It doesn't matter that he's a State fan. That's not the point. This is not an Ole Miss versus Mississippi State thing. This is a right versus wrong thing. And whether the guy was wearing a hat that said Mississippi State or Ole Miss or Georgia or Yale, I don't care. Maybe that's hard for you to realize coming from me. Oh, God, Richard didn't say something negative. Yeah, come on. It's about right versus wrong, not Ole Miss versus State. And I don't think that really is part of this debate. Let's semi 
Turn the page coming up. Let's get to some of what happened on the fields and on the courts when we come back with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Read that, uh, read that last message that you had about me. Can, can you read it? Is your friend going to get mad, or can we do this? Tell, tell Richard he should start a news channel on Supertalk. That reminded me of the JT Morning Show, only a more liberal version. There. Me being described as liberal is interesting. It is, it, it, it's actually pretty interesting. All right, let's let's get to some sports stuff. Look, I mean, this was tied to sports, and it was a big deal, and it was the biggest thing that happened this weekend in the state of Mississippi. Sports Talk's brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Um, Hey, Dad. Yes. Baseball or basketball first in Starkville? Well, we're fixing to talk to Coach Lamona, so why don't we do basketball first? Okay, I think we should do that. Quickly, and then I'm really I feel like the storylines for baseball this weekend are are long and deep. So eighteen to four out of the gates in hoops, yeah, in favor of South Carolina, and then the switch gets flipped, and it was kind of all Mississippi State for the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, State trailed by six sixteen, I think, with four minutes to go in the first half. They were able to put together a run that cut the lead to seven. And, and if you watch the game, on the absolute last possession, Tyson Carter got a steal and just heaved up a three as the uh, the buzzer expired. And it it just went off the rim. It almost went in. State could have been down just four. Then South Carolina came out in the second half, and they hit the first two buckets, and they pushed the lead back to 11. But you're right, from there, State just took over the game. And it wasn't a game where, you know, State comes all the way back and, and it's a back-and-forth game. State took complete control of the game and ends up winning by, by 15. And that's sort of been the opposite of what's happened a lot this season. They've had so many of these comeback games where they've come back but were never able to get over the top and, and get the lead. They got it on Saturday, and they did not give it back and, and ended up with a really big win. And uh, kind of the reemergence of... Lamar Peters, yes, yeah, a little bit. You know, you, you, I, I feel like you guys sort of got to take it a little bit, you know, one game at a time with this team. Sometimes. <laughs> well, <laughs> just, and, and here's the look. thing. Hey, you know, the thing to me with Lamar Peters, he's got a pretty good game. It wouldn't shock me at all if his next three games were somewhere between pretty good and eye-poppingly good, mm-hmm. and then he disappeared for four games again. By that same token, his next three games could be where is Lamar Peters, and then against you know well not three games but against Tennessee he goes for twenty eight points and nine rebounds and, and State somehow wins the game. So L- Lamar Peters is like a box of chocolates, man. You never know what you're going to get, <laughs> but he's out there playing hard. The team's playing hard. Eric Holman, sort of the same situation. He's been down the past few weeks, but he had a good game. On, on Saturday, and and you know the the real story though was for me was Reggie Perry. Uh, you think SEC SEC Freshman of the Week? Yeah, and he just continues to to get better and better every week. Um, 
he's the guy who sort of closed the game out for Mississippi State. I think he had uh, something like nine points in the final four minutes to, to really seal the game up. You know, Q was Q. Um, the seven-man rotation seems to be working for Mississippi State for, at this time, and you know, they're playing really well right now. We talked about this this stretch they had, or this this five-game stretch, and I said they wanted to go five and zero. They needed to go five and zero. All they got to do is beat uh, Missouri tomorrow night, and they will be five and zero, and be sitting at nine wins in the SEC, which should lock up their 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 berth in the NCAA tournament. Mississippi State twenty and seven overall. Uh, Ken Palm has them all the way up to number 23. And you remember, to your point, we kind of broke down this this five-game point. You, you said 5-0. and oh. mm-hmm. I think Rippey and I both agree that 4-1 and one was acceptable, given what they had in their final three games of the season, which was Auburn on the road, Tennessee on the road, and then Texas A&M at home because there was another win there. But I agree with you. I mean, the next win takes them to 21. I just don't think it's as much about wins and losses anymore, like having a certain number of wins being, oh, that's the silver bullet that gets you into the tournament. It's about all the metrics. And the metrics are good for this Mississippi State team. And they're good because they they played a better non-conference schedule. They're sitting at number 25 in the net. Yeah. As long as they don't slip. A loss to Missouri would hurt. A loss to Texas A&M would hurt. You can lose those Auburn and Tennessee games, and, and nobody, nothing happens. But that said, Richard, why am I not thinking Mississippi State's going to beat Auburn on Saturday? Auburn is not playing well right now. Because, it, because it's on the road. Once this year. That's the only reason, though. And, and State's won a few games on the road this year. So, I mean, I, I think they can go over there and win that game. I don't know if that's the way I'm going to lean when I make my prediction, but they can win that basketball game. With regards to both Ole Miss and State, too, like the bubble being as weak as it is, at this point where they're both sitting, it's going certainly possible, but it's going to take a lot for either one of them to kind of fall out back firmly on the bubble. No, you're right. I mean, both of those teams are in the NCAA tournament right now and would have to have something drastic happen uh, for for it to be otherwise. I mean, even if State were to somehow go 0-4, they would stay in the bubble, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that that's a fairly uncomfortable position to put yourselves in. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you go 0-4. Yeah, you yeah, don't want all to, of a sudden, for sure. All, all of a sudden sure. you're sweating as opposed to feeling really, really good going to Nashville. And honestly, it's yeah. the same for Ole Miss. I think they could go, go, go 0-4 and still kind of – kind of get in by default though that's that's less than ideal suboptimal if you want to call it that but i, I think nine could do it i don't think it necessarily will guarantee anything. nine will get Ole miss in i'm almost positive i think that's going to be really close but my point being is like that you said state could go oh and four and still probably do it I, I think it'd be the same for both well and, and when you mention nine for Ole miss you then have to ask the question okay what are the nine because i mean true. it's it's the but they're sitting on nine right now yes yeah, they're already at nine. I think ten's their magic Ooh, number. Yeah, they they I don't can't think lose it... out and make the NCAA tournament. Well, well, I'm not. I'm not saying they could lose out. I'm saying they could lose out and still be firmly on the bubble come Sunday and have a chance to. Because I mean, the bubble's bad. big and soft and squishy. Yeah. The magic number to lock it is again? certainly ten. Yeah. Yeah. Big, 
and soft and squishy. Is what did you say, hey, Dad? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you talking about me again? You said big and soft and squishy. Oh. <laughs> Less squishy than you used to be, though, right? That's right. That's right. What's the update on the scale? Uh, we're 13 down. We had a, we, down we didn't 13 have a pounds last week. Yeah, okay, we a good sorry. Last week. Still progress. I'm sorry, Rippy. Or not Rippy, Borky. What'd you say? Oh, I was just going to ask. I mean, the bubble it's generally understood that that it's especially weak this year. Although it's always weak, do you think we're looking at it from a the SEC will get more teams in because the league is better, or is the bubble just so weak that the SEC will get teams in by default? Yes, I think at both and. I think it's both. Yeah, it's, I, it's I think they've positioned themselves well with no bad losses to this point, a decent net, a couple of good wins. And also, I think, I mean, you're talking, like we were talking about the other day, you're talking about teams like Oklahoma, and now I'm going blank, but like Oklahoma's 4-9 and nine in the Big 12 and still one of the last four in last week. I don't know what they are now. Yeah, I'm not sure what they did. They may have won this weekend, which would still be five wins Oklahoma in the Big 12. Oklahoma beat Texas on Saturday. Okay, I know that. so yeah, got, got the win against Texas, which was a good win for them from a, a bubble standpoint. I mean, there are people that uh, project the Southern Conference, the SOCON, getting two teams, maybe three in right now. I would actually argue for that over some of these average uh, high major teams. Like, why should Furman or Wofford or even a team like Fresno State not get a chance when you've kind of seen how just very average these Indianas, the Oklahomas like that are against high major competition? Looking at Joe Lenardi's Twitter, before the MSU game, he had South Carolina, a team that we know is a, a sub-100 net, in his next four out. So, that I mean, if they had beat Mississippi State, he might have had that team in the NCAA tournament. We talked about that a lot last week. Oklahoma is 17-10, and 5-9 in the Big 12. Which is Third not a good last. basketball league, is it? No. And they're in. Yeah. We'll see where it goes, and uh, there's not a lot of time left. I mean, we're we're basically to the end. You got this this midweek and this Saturday, next midweek and next Saturday, and that's it. Then it's conference tournament time. We'll turn the page to baseball coming up next. What a weekend in Starkville! A one-run extra inning game. I should say a one-nothing extra inning win for Southern Miss on Friday. But then follow it up with uh, Mississippi State winning on Saturday, comfortably. And then a walk-off win on Sunday. Pretty good weekend series in Starkville. Chris Lamonis will join us coming up next on the Farm Bureau phone line. We're going to push Scott Berry back to tomorrow. We'll talk with Mike Bianco in the 5 o'clock hour. It's Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Monday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Right now we'll go to the Farm Bureau phone line and check in with the head baseball coach in Starkville, Chris Lamonis, first year as the head coach at Mississippi State. Coach, what a weekend. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Fighting the rain off and then uh, getting to play a quality opponent for three days. Um, yeah, it was a good weekend, and we were able to, you know, play well all three games. So, so did you do some sort of anti-rain dance leading into Saturday because it looked like it was going to be terrible, and then all of a sudden you end up with like seventy degrees, and it's like cloudy and windy, but pretty good day for baseball. It, it was a really good day, and about forty-five minutes later, we had the thunderstorms and everything come through. So we played it yeah. 
perfectly. I don't know if we'll always do that, but we had it on Wednesday nights the same way. It rained all day, and as soon as game time got there, they opened it up, and our field crew, luckily we have a tremendous field and a tremendous field crew. They were able to get it ready really quick, and, and we jumped out there and played both nights. It was kind of amazing. I, I thought some of your comments, and, and maybe even the comments of your team, after the game on Friday were, were interesting, that, that the way you played offensively bothered you, bothered them, and you got a really good response from your team on Saturday. What went into that? Well, you know, um, we have good hitters. It's you know Sometimes you know you're not real good. Well, when you look up at us and watch us take BP, we have some really talented hitters, but we're just still trying to figure out <clears throat> who we are as an offense, um, how we work together as an offense, how we can lean on each other as an offense. and um, It's some growing pains for all of us right now. We're still pretty young. I mean, uh, we have four guys back who started in that Omaha team as freshmen, but they're still young players and, and trying to come out and, and do things. We have a tendency to be a little too aggressive at times, and I thought we did a great job of, of hitting our pitch on Saturday and Sunday. Chris Lamonis on your radio, head baseball coach at Mississippi State. Bulldogs take two of three from Southern Miss this weekend. Coach, you're still new to us and, and new to Mississippi State fans. Try try to kind of take me inside your philosophy with with the way you teach hitting, what you want to see from a, a plate approach from your guys. Does it vary based on, on skill set? Just kind of, kind of take me inside your brain on that. Well, we'd like to be a very athletic team. But we're really pushing on the base run inside and being able to put pressure on people. Um, but we also want to hit the long ball. So my last couple of years in Indiana, we led the league in home runs. So we're looking, you know, we're looking for a, a you know an athletic, physical kid that can play, um, and, and we want to be aggressive. I mean, we really do, but we just have to understand the limitations of our, our aggression. And we're trying to sit on a good pitch, you know, early in the count, be something we can drive, um, and then just being able to to put pressure on defense. So it's a little bit um, the more fastballs we can hit, the, the the better base runners we are. We can put pressure on you in some different ways, and so we've. Um, We've had success in the past, and this group's doing a really good job. We've done a great job base running-wise over the first couple of weeks and really uh, been able to put some pressure on people. Jake's, I think, got four for four stolen bases, so he's jumped out there. And he's he's probably the typical type of kid you'd like. It's, it's an easy statement to make. I think he's a <laughs> yeah. three-time All-American. But, you know, Jake's a very aggressive leadoff, you know, a little different than some other guys. I don't like a takey-takey offense either. But um, but there is a time, you know. Just the other day, I think we our, our one and our two, um, they saw four pitches in the first two two at bats apiece. So um, you know, we just need to sometimes if one guy's really aggressive, we got to be able to pull back a little bit. And so they Let, did a great job of it the rest of the weekend. Let's stick with Jake Mangum just for a second. I, I'm curious as to what you knew about him when you took the job compared to what you feel like you know about him now, kind of as a as a competitor. Well, he's a tremendous competitor, tremendous engine. I didn't know as much about him. You know, you look at him, you watch him from the outside. Um, a thirst to learn, like he's still that guy. I, you know, we laugh because I'm still, you know, I probably get on him as much as anybody because he's just he's in the middle of everything. He is. He, he just wants to be a better player. I mean, he's always picking your brain. He's always by your side. Um, you know, I, I've made this comment numerous times, but he's the All-American. He doesn't know it. He just... He just he just has a thirst to play the game, and he shows up with as much energy and practices and plays with so much energy. It's just it's just fun to watch. Uh, sometimes you got to pull a throttle back a little bit on him because he is. He, and I'm learning that as a coach that he is such an aggressive player, but um, it's what makes him great too. So you can't pull back on it too much. 
Coaches Brian, hey Dad. Look at hey, your Brian. starting pitching this this past couple weekends. I mean, especially with Ethan Small and JT Ginn, they have really been good for you. Uh, especially Ginn has been, you know, he's shown you why he was a first round pick. How high is the ceiling for for Small and for for Ginn as as your duo to Friday Saturday night uh, when SEC play starts? I mean, I think they're two of the better guys out there. I don't think what you're seeing is a fluke. I mean, maybe they're, you know, seven innings and one hit, maybe. I'm sure some guys are going to get hits and stuff. But Ethan's, you know, Ethan's that second year out of Tommy John, and that's where you see the big growth with those guys, and I think that's what's happening with him. Um, you know, that last year just learning it, and, and you saw it at the end of last year probably. His best starts were at the end of the year, and then, JT's a special talent. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And um, what makes him great, I mean, he, he throws hard and everything else, but he is such a poised competitor. Um, he doesn't pitch like a freshman. Even two weeks in, he runs out there, and you're getting a quality effort from him. That was a pretty good environment that he pitched in this weekend, and uh, he handled it uh, great. Chris Lamonis on your radio at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Mississippi State taking two of three this weekend. They lost one nothing in ten innings on Friday, came back one at eight to one on Saturday, and then a walk off win yesterday, four to three. The uh, the final. You saw from the time. When did you get the job, Chris? When were you hired? Late June. Late June. Okay, so from from late June, where the stadium was functional to opening day and some of the reviews I've seen of it now, do you still pinch yourself a little bit when you look at what that ballpark has become? Yeah, it's it's amazing. And it's it's a beautiful venue. Um, it's got so much character to it. The inside, the amenities, the, the coaching elements that we get to have, which is really what matters to me the most. Yeah. The Palmero Center with that, that we have just an indoor facility right next to us. We just, you know, we feel privileged. I can tell you that as a, as a coaching staff and as a team. And uh, the, the neat thing for me is when you walk out there like yesterday afternoon and, and we have, I mean, it's packed. The grills are going, the character of the ballpark, the fan base. I mean, that's what makes it special. And um, it's just, it's just a, it's a really cool when you look out there and you watch our kids take a lap after the game and, and, and shake hands with all our fans. That relationship is just so much different than most places in college baseball. Maybe two-part question here, which I know you're not really supposed to do. This is a schedule that that you inherited, and pretty good test in week two, and then you turn around in week three and go play in the Frisco Classic against three pretty good baseball teams. One, how do you feel about the schedule this year? And two, what is your scheduling philosophy going to be when you're the one building the schedule? Well, the schedule, like I said, I took over a schedule, and I like it. We're going to have yeah. one series every year. We run and travel early in the season and be on the road, and we want it to be against a great opponent. Uh, this weekend's coming up with Sam Houston State, who has, you know, they're, they're uh, I think they were a super team. regional team two years ago, and they have one of the top pitchers in the country on Friday night, so that'll be a great test. And then uh, Texas Tech, who's top five, and then Nebraska, <laughs> who I battled with for years in the Big Ten. So it'll be a, it'll be a good test this weekend, but... Um, you know, in the future, we kind of have that same piece. I mean, we're we're trying to, you know, play at home a lot, but we want to play good opponents. I mean, and it is for us to get better. Um, I don't want anybody to look at our schedule at the end of the year and say, ah, oh, you didn't do enough. Um, you know, if you, you know, sometimes you could be win 34 games and do enough because you play 30 SEC games. Uh, I don't want it to be easy. And so, we, you know, we'll have a very competitive schedule. Um, I like to get those 
like this week we play two games midweek. Next week we play two games midweek. I like to get those out of the way early in the year because uh, really, you know, yeah, I, I don't like to have to play those at the end. So you only have to do it twice a twice a week or twice a season. Play two in the midweek. Those are tough on the kids. So those are the those are the hardest ones. And we're trying to do a tournament down by the coast and play down there maybe on our spring break to get some of that out of the way in the future. Uh, we're trying to travel around the state a little bit and play <clears throat> so our fans can see us. I know I get hit up by fans everywhere I speak. So um, And then playing, you know, driving down and playing in Biloxi or something in the midweek is hard. So hopefully we can do that on spring break in the future. But we're just trying to bounce around and do some different things. But you'll see a very competitive schedule when we put it out for next year. Well, certainly look forward to seeing that and, and look forward to visiting with you on Mondays throughout the season. Appreciate you agreeing to do this, and, and I think Mississippi State fans are uh, are glad to hear from you on a weekly basis as well. Thanks so much. All right. Take care, guys. That's Chris Lamonis, head baseball coach at Mississippi State. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi with you Monday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky. Brian Scott Rippey, hey Dad, had to scoot on this Monday afternoon. He'll be back with us tomorrow, starting at three o'clock. So we just heard from Chris Lamonis. Let's kind of walk through the uh, the weekend. So Mississippi State wins two of three at home against Southern Miss. We kind of followed along with Game One during the show on Friday. Southern Miss wins that game one to nothing. In ten innings, Bulldogs out hit Southern Miss seven to three in the game. Got an RBI single from a pinch hitter, Charlie Fisher, in the top of the tenth inning. And was it Brant Blaylock that scored to uh, scored the go ahead run? Yeah, Brant Blaylock scored the go ahead run in the ball game. And then Ryan Ock got the win. He pitched two and a third innings of scoreless relief. Ethan Small was incredible. Seven innings, 13 strikeouts, two base runners allowed. He gave up one hit and he hit a batter. Just about as good as you can be on the mound. So a really good outing for Ethan Small. But a good day for Southern Miss. They get the win to start out up one nothing in the series. Then you go to game two and a little bit different story offensively for Mississippi State. They jumped out with four runs. In the bottom of the second inning, they had a two in the bottom of the fifth, got a single run in the seventh, and a single run in the eighth, and won it eight to one. Um, Justin Foscue had a home run. Jake Mangum had an RBI single in the second inning. Westberg had an RBI single. And Tanner Allen had an RBI single as well. One of two runs that he drove in on the day. Big day for Dustin Skelton. He had three runs driven in in the game. Solo home run in the seventh inning. Uh, He had a solo home run, I'm sorry, a two-run homer in the fifth and a solo shot in the seventh. And then Tanner Allen got an RBI in the eighth inning as well. So bouncing back from a 1-0 shutout, Mississippi State came back with eight runs on 13 hits. And Southern Miss kind of uncharacteristically committed four errors in the ballgame. And then you fast forward to Sunday's game. And what a game it was yesterday. So Mississippi State led three to nothing. I'm sorry, they, they led three to one. It was one nothing after an inning as Tanner Allen got an RBI single in the first. Southern Miss tied it at one in the top of the third, but Mississippi State answered with a two run single 
from Elijah McNamee. Southern Miss got two runs back in the sixth inning, a solo home run from Hunter LeBlanc and an RBI single from Fred Franklin. That tied the game at three. Go to the bottom of the ninth inning, and Tanner Allen had a double down the right field line into the corner, scored Jordan Westberg, and Mississippi State walks it off with a 4-3 to three win. Borky, what's your takeaway from this weekend in Starkville? Uh, I'm just thoroughly impressed with JT again. I mean, it's almost like the yeah. it's almost like the Dodgers had a really good evaluation on that first round pick. He is for a true freshman making his second start in college against a team like Southern Miss that just beat them the day before. I mean, he had a little bit of pressure on him against a good baseball team and just ran through that lineup like he was back playing in high school. JT Ginn on Saturday goes seven innings. Gives up two hits, does not allow a run, strikes out nine, and walks a batter. He hit one batter in the game, had three wild pitches. But, man, his stuff is really, really good. As they say, electric. And it's, you know, good velocity on the fastball, but it's his breaking ball. And it seems like, now, I'll be honest, I have not watched a lot of him so far. I've watched bits and pieces of his outing. In the, in the first two starts, and it seems to me like he's very much in control of what he wants to do on the mound. Like the stage isn't too big. It's not, oh, my gosh, I'm, in a, fr- I'm a freshman pitching in a big ballpark, not dimension-wise, like big stadium, big atmosphere, and the moment's just not too big for him. And I think if you're a Mississippi State fan, that's really exciting. And, in fact, the one-two punch that you've got, with Ethan Small and JT Ginn, leads me to believe that Mississippi State is going to be in every series they play this year because of their pitching. They're going to be nights when they don't hit it. They're going to be nights when they rip it all over the ballpark. Ethan Small may run into a buzzsaw of a lineup. JT Ginn may have a game where he looks a little bit like a freshman. But going into week three, I don't think there's any reason to believe that that Mississippi State, from a pitching standpoint, is not equipped to be in every game they play. I'm sorry, every series they play. A few more questions on Sunday, although Keegan James was pretty good, and and they kind of went whole staff yesterday with Cole Gordon picking up the win to go to 2-0 on the year. That's kind of the the Mississippi State side of things. The other side of this is Southern Miss is good. I think Southern Miss is a really good baseball team. They win a one nothing game. They get popped in the mouth in game two, and they come back and don't even flinch. And they lose one in the bottom of the ninth. It's a good baseball team. It's a baseball team that Ole Miss is going to face twice in the midweek, once in Pearl and once in Hattiesburg this year. And Southern Miss has given Ole Miss all kinds of trouble in recent years. Ole Miss has played better against them and has gotten some midweek wins the last couple of seasons against Southern Miss. But this is a Southern Miss team that, you know, sitting at four and two after two weeks with midweek games on the horizon and chance to put up some really good numbers this year. What, Gonzaga coming to Hattiesburg this weekend? Mm -hmm. I think that's this weekend. Yep. And they were an NCAA tournament team a year ago. So, uh, and by the way, Walker Powell, who was the starter for Southern Miss on Friday, earns a uh, Conference USA weekly award. He is the pitcher of the week. Um, 
Well deserved too. I, I mean, oh, absolutely. They went up in the rankings this week, losing a series. That's how, even though they lost the series, and uh, you know, there's no there's no moral victories, but that kind of feels like one. They played well in an SEC ballpark, probably had multiple opportunities to win that series, and feel like they should have won that series, and they were rewarded for it. Um. So Walker Powell named Pitcher of the Week in Conference USA. And you had some other awards that were handed out this week. Thomas Dillard for Ole Miss was named not only the SEC Player of the Week, but also the National Player of the Week by Collegiate Baseball. Hit 412 for the week with three home runs and 13 runs batted in, including an 8-RBI Saturday game, game that Ole Miss lost to Tulane. Apparently hit a home run that was about 500 feet. Landed in Lake Pontchartrain. <laughs> um. But it's not just Thomas Dillard. JT Ginn earns co-freshman of the week honors. Second straight victory, seven shutout innings in the win against number 21 Southern Miss, two hits, one walk, and a career-high nine strikeouts. So a pretty good weekend all the way around. Let's take a peek at, at Ole Miss this weekend as well. We'll get into this a little bit deeper uh, coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll also talk with, uh, with Mike Bianco, head coach of the Rebels, Rippy, I know you followed this pretty closely this weekend. Ole Miss wins on Friday. They win game one by a score of six to four. They lost thirteen to twelve on Saturday, and then they come back and get a six three win to win the series yesterday. What'd you take away? Bullpen overall pretty good. They still have some things they gotta shore up on the in the rotation. And then the offense the way that offense is set up it can or I say set up not necessarily from a lineup construction standpoint but with what they have in their lineup can change a game pretty quickly that was kind of my three main takeaways from that the the long ball threat's real four home runs so far this year from Thomas Dillard Tyler Keenan's got three Cole Zabowski's got a couple on the year the guys that you expected to swing it well have swung it well um Greg Kessinger had his first home run of the season on Friday? I believe it was Friday night. I think it was Friday night in the win. There are a lot of guys that can hit it deep. Can this Ole Miss team hit for average? I think right now they're sitting at fifth in the SEC in batting average. Yeah, I mean, I think they can, but I mean, I'm not sure how much value there is in that when you have that much pop. Well, the combination of table setters to go along with guys that can hit it deep. Sure, but they have a couple of those. I mean, Kessinger doesn't strike out. He puts it in play a lot. Um, Olenek doesn't hit a lot of home runs. He does not. does not walk a lot, but, may, I mean, he doesn't strike out a ton either. So, I, yeah, I, I think they can. What about pitching early for Ole Miss? Will Etheridge did not pitch this weekend, and that kind of probably changes the way you look at it a little bit. Hoagland's gonna. Hoagland's done enough good things to where I, I think, though it's not a certainty, he will be all right on Sundays and give them a chance. But Sundays got to figure out how to shore up Saturday. Whether that's with Zach Phillips or Roth or somebody else, possibly Doug Nikhazy. We'll talk with Mike Bianco about that coming up a little bit later this afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio, Renaissance Bank. Understanding you. A couple of tweets on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed from Anthony. He says that Ock kid for USM is nasty. I agree. He also says Ginn throws strikes. Most freshmen struggle with control early. You can see why he was a first-round draft pick. No question about that, Anthony. 
More coming up with you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Monday afternoon, glad to have you along for the ride. So, there was more in Oxford than water outages and protests this weekend. There was a basketball game on Saturday, and it was a game that Ole Miss needed to win. And really, if we're being honest about how we say it, it was a game that Ole Miss needed to not lose. They didn't lose. It looked dicey at the end. Candidly, we walked out with about two and a half, three minutes to play. Needed to get the kids out of there. Didn't need to sit in traffic for half an hour after the game. So we scooted out, and I flipped it on the radio, and all of a sudden it's a one-point game at the end. And Ole Miss fortunate. They defended the play that Georgia ran pretty well at the end. It was a long three that bounced off the rim that would have given Georgia the win. But it didn't. They did not lose. They did not lose. What did you think about the game? I didn't think Ole Miss played particularly well in either game it played this week, whether it be on the road at South Carolina or obviously the game Saturday. But they found a way late. It just it was a game. It was interesting because it was kind of weird, not not because of anything that happened before, but Ole Miss kind of snoozed to a ten point lead at halftime. There wasn't really a ton that stood out that Ole Miss did well or extremely poorly in the first half. And you look up at halftime and they are up ten. And so you kind of thought it was going to be similar to the Missouri game where the game never felt really in doubt, even if it was, you know, eight, nine, seven points, whatever it may be, around 10. And then Georgia issued a punch in the second half that had Ole Miss kind of stumbling and, and really trying to recover until the final possession of the game. Um, what, a 16 to three run maybe coming out of halftime, if I have that correct somewhere somewhere along those lines. But Georgia took, takes a lead and led by as many, I Was think, it an 11 0 run? It was 11-0, I want to say something like that. Ole Miss missed like six of its first seven shots coming out of halftime. And then Georgia leads by as many as five. I think it was 54-49 with 10-20 somewhere in that neighborhood left. And as has happened so many times this year, Ole Miss's guard play really kind of carried it through some tumultuous stretches. And they, you know, Bree and Tyree and Devontae Shuler, namely, made shots down the stretch, made contested layups, got to the rim and provided enough offense to overcome them getting beat on the glass, particularly the defensive glass late in the game, that they were able to overcome it. So they didn't play very well. They went to the 1-3-1 the last possession. They got a double team going. I'm not exactly sure Georgia what Georgia was aiming to do there. I mean, I know generally they were trying to go to Nick Claxton because he had been torching Dominico. But he called it like game. 28 feet from the basket. Right, so I don't understand what they were – I understand what they were trying to do. I don't understand how they were trying to do it. So he catches it 28 feet from the basket, which is, allows and- Ole Miss to double team with a guard – and then they, Georgia kind of is in panic mode at that point. What There was only 10 seconds left when they called timeout, so he throws it to Tyree Crump in the corner, who throws up a contested about 24, 25-footer that was honestly on, on line. It bricked short, but it it wasn't – it was a heave, but it was an accurate heave, just not accurate enough, and Ole Miss survived. So I didn't think Ole Miss played very well, but as Kermit Davis kind of said after the game, he'll take wins anyway. He can get them this time of year. They don't really have to come pretty – at all, especially in late February. So it was a big step forward in terms of locking up an NCAA tournament bid, but, man, a loss would have made the road a lot harder. 17 points for Brian Tyree, 16 for Schuler, 13 points for Terrence Davis. Those three combined for 10 of Ole Miss's 12 three-point makes in the game. And 
when when I tell you that there's a guy that was one of two from the field but had a big impact on the game, don't look at me like I'm crazy. D.C. Davis had a big impact on that game. He had five rebounds, and a couple of those were really big rebounds. He did. He defended well on the perimeter, which Ole Miss has struggled at times to do, and then he gets inserted into the game. Ole Miss was either down 56-54, up 57-56. I don't remember exactly when he got inserted, but I believe it was out of a timeout, and then when he goes in the game, the lead immediately swells to 8. They go on a 7-0 spurt. Crean calls timeout, but he defended well, and the biggest thing was he was rebounding when Ole Miss wasn't rebounding particularly well as a team. And that was really kind of the difference in the game. He's had a couple games to where he doesn't necessarily score points, but he's done a couple of things and stretches that is that have been really crucial in not only the game itself, but in crucial games with regards to Ole Miss's season overall. And Kermit Davis acknowledged it after the game. He said Bree and Tyree, Devontae Schuer played a big part, but the reason they won the game is because of D.C. Davis. Um, Ole Miss had a 10-point lead at halftime. Georgia outscored Ole Miss by 9 in the second half. But that adds up to a one-point win for the Rebels, 72-71. They are now 19-8 overall, 9-5 in the SEC, and finding more than a handful of people that would have predicted that Ole Miss could go 500 in the SEC this year, much less have a chance to get to 10, 11, possibly more wins. Good luck. I put their win total at seven you did. in November and thought that was generous because once I started going back through it, I was like, where are they getting to seven? And shows what I know. They're sitting at nine and five with four to play in the league, including a big game on Wednesday night against Tennessee, six o'clock tip at the Pavilion. Big game. You can end any kind of debate with regards to tournament with that. Yeah, you certainly could. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Five o'clock hour coming up next. We'll start it off with the college football fix. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.